How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen? God is good. I said God is good. All right. I thought I lost you for a second there. <laughs> this morning I want to talk to you about things that God will not do. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer that God did not answer? The rest of you either have not prayed or are lying. If you are a believer and have ever practiced the discipline that we call prayer, you've prayed a few that didn't seem to work. And there's some stuff that we need to understand that there's some stuff that God just will not do. And if we understand the things that God will not do and why, the principles that govern God's actions, then it does away with a certain dimension of disillusionment and despair in our prayer lives helps us learn how to pray more effectively, and shields us from discouragement and unbelief. And really, prayer is the realm in which faith is most effective. Prayer is the greatest sign of our faith. Prayerlessness is a sign of faithlessness. Prayerfulness is a sign of faithfulness. Because if I'm full of faith, the, the, more, the greater my faith is, the greater my understanding that by myself I can do nothing. And the more I understand that by myself I can do nothing, the more I am driven to my knees to pray. And so if I am never driven to my knees to pray, it's because I think I can do it all by myself. Or I misunderstand what God has done on my behalf. So we need to talk about what God will not do so that we can be protected from unbelief, discouragement, disillusionment, and despair and can actually grow. And one of the greatest pitfalls that I find in the lives of believers is discouragement, disillusionment. I used to be on fire for Christ. I used to seek his face every day. I used to pray. But I went through this period in my life where this happened. And because I went through that, now I'm a little gun shy. It seems like it was all for nothing. It seems like it was all in vain. 1 Corinthians 15:58 says, Therefore be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The only way you can be steadfast and unmovable and abounding in the work of the Lord is if you know that your labor in the Lord is in vain. But the moment you begin to feel that it was all in vain, it was all for nothing, it failed, you're setting yourself up for a, the next season of your life to be characterized by disillusionment, discouragement, and despair. And the first thing that suffers when we encounter disillusionment, discouragement, and despair, is our prayer life. Okay, I'm going to give you four things that God will not do. And I believe this is going to help you this morning. Number one, God will not do that which he has already called done. If he's already said it's done, he won't do it again. Jesus died on the cross once. He's not going to climb back up there and die again. When he saves you, he saves you once. He does not save you again. In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus on the cross, just before he breathed his last, said, it is finished. It's done. Now there are certain things that are finished and certain things that are not finished. You don't pray for the things that are already finished. You pray for the things that are not yet finished. When Jesus said it is finished, it was not a blanket statement about all of reality because all of reality is not finished. 
The Holy Spirit is still bringing the creation towards new creation. That means there are certain things that we still do need to pray for because God hasn't done them yet. But the first rule of discernment is that we must distinguish between that which God has done and that which God has not yet done. And we do not pray for the things that God has already done. Satan would love to pull you into a war that has already been won for you. He'd love to pull you into the place where you're clamming, cr- clamoring for that which you already possess, where you're reaching for that which you have already acquired. Jesus said, it is finished, and it is of utmost importance that we lay hold of what Jesus meant when he said it is finished. What has God already done? Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 says, To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. That means the moment he shed his blood on the cross, we were freed from our sins. So if we are crying out for freedom from sin, we have yet to apprehend what Christ has already done on our behalf. He already has freed us from our sins by his blood. The only thing that hasn't showed up there yet is our minds. Because we still think we're in bondage. And so much of what we call deliverance in the church is simply a substitute for faith. I can't seem to bring my mind and heart into the place where I believe what Christ has already done, so I might as well call it a demon and try to cast it out. You're not wrestling against the devil, you're wrestling against unbelief. You're wrestling to bring your mind into alignment with what God has already done. He has freed us from our sins by His blood. So instead of wrestling for freedom from sin, how about bring your mind and heart into alignment with what Christ did on the cross when He said it is finished. It means no greater sacrifice needs to be made. No greater deliverance needs to be procured. It means that the blood of Jesus Christ is enough. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives us strength from day to day will never lose its power. And if that blood has been applied to your heart, it is enough to set you free from every sin. You say, well, does that mean that we're all supposed to be perfect? Yes! The reality is we're not. But we're not because we're all still in process. But the process is not a work by which God finally does it, but it's a work by which we finally believe it. Our destination is perfection. When we see Him as He is, we'll be like Him. Okay? Ephesians 1.3 says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He already has. If you're praying, Lord, bless me. Lord, bless me. I need some more spiritual blessings. Would you bless me? How about bringing your heart and mind into alignment with the fact that He has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places? It means that there is access in the heavens for you and for me to every blessing of the Holy Spirit. Anything that any man or woman has experienced in the history of salvation is available to you and I through faith as we begin to lay hold of the spiritual blessings that God has already blessed us with. You with me this morning? How about this? He's already defeated the devil. Colossians 2.15 says that he disarmed powers and principalities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He's already defeated the devil. If you're wrestling with the devil, you're making a moot point. 
You're fighting an enemy that's already been defeated. It's like going into the championship game against a team that lost in the first round of the playoffs. If you saw, if you went to the Super Bowl and some team that had already lost in the first round of the playoffs had convinced the Super Bowl team to play against them in the Super Bowl, you'd go home, you wouldn't even buy the ticket. This is a moot point. You guys already lost. You don't belong in the Super Bowl. You already lost. You've already been defeated. It's not even your battle here. And so if you are fighting the devil, you're fighting a battle that has already been won by the cross. Does that mean that we don't wrestle against powers and principalities? Yes, we do wrestle against powers and principalities and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There is spiritual warfare, but the goal of spiritual warfare is to protect our hearts and minds from the influences of unbelief and to bring us to the place where we fully believe what God has already done for us. You're fighting the good fight of faith, no other battle. You're fighting to believe. Because what is being assaulted is your faith. The devil can't touch anything but your faith. And if he can affect your faith, he's affected everything. Second Corinthians one twenty one. He has anointed us in God. He's already anointed us. We're crying out for the anointing. He's already anointed us. You know, so much would be won if we just began to believe what God has already done. I mean, if we would just begin, if we would just begin to focus our times in prayer toward coming to faith for what God's already done. Just believing it. The scripture says he gives us the spirit so that we may know the things that God has freely given to us. There's so much that God has freely given to us that we're trying to earn in the prayer closet. We're trying to obtain it. We're trying to war for it. We're trying to battle for it. We're trying to contend for it. But it's already been given freely. And when something is given freely, there's no contention around it. It's just freely given, freely received. So God will not do that which He has already called done. It's done. You just stop wrestling with it. It's done. Secondly, God will not do that which He has delegated to us, placed under our authority, and made our responsibility. God will not do that which He has delegated to us, placed under our authority, and made our responsibility. He just won't. If he's delegated to us, don't pray for him to do it. A corollary to that is God will not utilize the supernatural to circumvent our failure to use the natural. My wife was in Paraguay, and she woke up early one morning, and she went out on the balcony, and she began to pray, but she realized it was freezing cold, and she had forgotten to get her coat. And she said, Lord, would you supernaturally make me warm so I don't have to go back inside? And the Spirit of God came on her, and the Word of the Lord spoke. She said, yes, Lord. And the Lord said, go get a blanket. <laughs> and then the Lord said to her, don't ask for my supernatural blessings until you learn how to utilize my natural blessings. Do you know there's actually no distinction between the natural and the supernatural because even the natural has a supernatural source. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Even the earth itself is actually supernatural in origin because God created it through a supernatural word. So you cannot distinguish between the natural and the supernatural. It all comes from God. 
sometimes instead of asking him to heal you, you need to take an aspirin. Amen. Sometimes instead of asking him to fix your blood pressure, you need to eat better and exercise a little bit. Amen. Sometimes instead of begging him for financial provision, you need to spend your money better. Save some money. Put some money in the bank. What happens is people tithe and then make poor financial decisions and then they're mad at God because you promised me blessing. Yes, but I expect you to utilize the wisdom I gave you. Remember Dr. Kirby talked about the tenth gift of the Spirit is common sense. Amen. So God will not do that which He has delegated to us, placed under our authority, and made our responsibility. How about the Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen? Jesus says to His disciples, you go into all the world. He didn't say, go have a prayer meeting for God to save the nations. He said, you go into all the world. And make disciples of all nations. You go. You do it. I'm expecting you to do it. I'm delegating that responsibility to you. I'm putting it under your authority. You go and make disciples of all nations. Implicit in that is if you don't go, the nations will not be reached. The church has largely abdicated that responsibility. Largely. Only 4% of Christians share their faith. And here's the sad point. The four, most of the 4% who share their faith in the United States, they share it with other people in the United States who have already heard the gospel before. America just keeps getting saved and re-saved and re-saved and re-saved and re-saved and re-saved and re-saved. And each time we get saved again, there's fewer people that get saved again. If we want to see revival in this nation, we've got to pick up the mantle of the Great Commission again and say, God, you're not going to do this supernaturally. You're not sending angels to the nations. You are expecting us to do it. Now, God will enhance and empower our obedience to that command. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember the story of Carl Hargistan flying into that region and everybody told him, do not go. Why? Because they kill every missionary that goes there. The Guji tribe. The Guji people. And you didn't want to get killed by the Guji people. They chopped off your stuff and let you bleed out. Yeah, that's not fun. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> the Lord's going to have to appear to me to get me to go up there. <laughs> Lord, now I need three more confirmations. But the Lord spoke to Carl Hargistam and said, fly up there in a helicopter. And everybody told him, don't do it! He got in the helicopter, he flew up there. When he landed, thousands of them came out, surrounded the helicopter. He came out and he started preaching the gospel. And he, he starts in Genesis. He wants to give the whole, he doesn't just say Jesus. He starts in Genesis and gives you the whole story so that they can contextualize it. About 15 minutes into his message, the chief jumped up and said, uh, tell us about Jesus Christ. He said, what, what, how do you know about Jesus Christ? Did some missionaries come through here and talk to you? He goes, no. Five days ago, a shiny man appeared to me, and he said, in five days, white men will fly down out of the sky. You have to believe what they tell you. And he said, I looked at the shiny man and said, who are you? He said, I am Jesus Christ, and then he disappeared. <laughs> Jesus showed up. 
but he showed up to empower and enable Carl's obedience to the Great Commission. Jesus did not preach the gospel to him. He still expects a man. Remember Acts chapter 10, Cornelius says he was a God-fearer. He prayed every day. He gave alms to the poor. He believed in the God of Israel. And while he's praying, an angel appears to him, but the angel didn't preach the gospel. The angel said, go and inquire of a man named Peter and listen to what he tells you. And they went and got Peter. Peter still had to get his tail off the roof and go with these men and walk in the house and preach the gospel. You're praying for your family members to get saved. That's great. Keep praying, but also share the gospel with them. God's not going to send an angel to do what he's expected you to do. You know, Paul Young Cho, the way he grew his church in Korea, he had a small church of about 2,000 people. His church, it broke every rule. Every church growth principle, it broke them all. They say that a pastor by himself with no assistant pastors can only grow a church to 200 people. That's maximum. Well, his grew to 2,000, and he was the only one on staff. Okay, that, that should have wowed a few of you. I guess it, I'm the only one that's shocked by that. So uh, uh, anyway, he started appointing leaders at about 2,000 people and started appointing assistant pastors, and the church was growing. And, and he, but he was never satisfied. It was never enough. I mean, it would grow to 5,000 people. He said, Lord, this is nothing. The world is going to hell. There's millions of people that need Jesus, and we've got 5,000, and we're happy? So he prayed for the Lord to give him a vision for growing the church and just reaching the whole nation for Christ. And the Lord gave him this vision. The men of the church wouldn't do it, so he went to the women. The men were too busy. So he went to the women, and he said, listen, will you guys help me? They said, sure. What's your vision? He said, here's what I want you to do. Pick a neighbor. Pray for them every day for 30 days. Then go knock on their door and invite them to church. If they say no, go home and pray for them for another 30 days. Then knock on their door and invite them to church. If they say no, repeat until they come to church and get saved. One neighbor at a time. So he had 15, 20 women. Each of them did it. People started coming in. And then more people in his church started doing it. Pretty soon there were hundreds and then thousands of people praying for 30 days, knock on the door of a neighbor. There was one testimony of a guy. Some, a guy said he was in his house. Somebody knocked on his door in his, in his apartment. Somebody knocked, a lady knocked on his door and invited him to church. He said, no. 30 days later, the same lady knocked on his door and invited him to church. He said, no, I don't want anything to do with church. Leave me alone. 30 days later, the same lady knocked on his door and invited him to church. He said, leave me alone. Never come here again. I don't want to go to church. And then he moved out. He said I, he found another place across town in another apartment complex. 30 days after he moved in, somebody knocked on his door and invited him to church. <laughs> And he went and got saved and became an elder in the church. How about if they just did the praying without the knocking? Sometimes God is there ready to work the miracle, but there's no hand of a believer on a person. He's there ready to save, but there's no believer there to speak the gospel. People are ready. Everywhere you go, God is ready to break out in somebody's lives. But what he needs is a man or woman of God, a believer, to be there and to be in obedience and say, God, I'm not just going to pray and wait. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do something. There's some things God will not do without us. God will not do that which he has delegated to us, placed under our authority, and made our responsibility. Oh, here's a good one. Ephesians 4.28. He expects us to work. A lot of people say, I'm just going to believe God. I'm not going to work. I'm just going to believe God. I'm just trusting God. Just trusting God. Paul said, if a man does not work, let him also not eat. 
In Ephesians 4.28, Paul says, Let him who steals steal no longer. Instead, let him work with his hands that which is good. God expects you to work. He expects you to get a job. He expects you to get off of your blessed assurance and go out and do something. There's too many people that are just kind of, just kind of waiting for God to just kind of shower down blessing. Now, there's another side to that. Because sometimes he will call you to his work even though there's no provision in it, it seems. But he still expects you to work. See, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm just called of God to do nothing. If you're just sitting around the house lazy watching TV but saying, the Lord told me not to work, that ain't God. That is not the Lord. But if you're out working for the kingdom and bearing fruit for the kingdom, then I can say, okay, I can see that. I can see the Lord moving you in that direction. But don't tell me that God has called you for a season to watch Creflo Dollar and Jerry Springer. <laughs> I there was a young man who kept saying, oh, the Lord's called me not to work in this season. The Lord's called me not to work. But then every month he would come asking for money and for food. And I'd say, you know what? If the Lord's called you not to work, then he's going to provide for you. So I'm standing in faith with you, brother. <laughs> I'm believing. I'm, be I'm just believing. <laughs> He expects us to do something. You know what? If you're unemployed, some of you are in a season where you're unemployed and you've tried to find work and you can't, can't find it. Maybe the Lord expects you to work for Him. Treat it like you're 9 to 5. Get up at 9 and start, I mean, you know, get yourself ready and at 9 o'clock, clock in. Lord, you don't have me working a job? Okay, I'm working for you. 9 a.m., I'm starting my job. I'm ready to go to work, Lord. Get on your knees, open your Bible and pray. And then get to work for the kingdom. How about say, Lord, until you give me a job, I'm going to go serve in your house. Lord, until you give me a job, I'm going to start evangelizing. Until you give me a job, I'm going to pray four hours a day. Ooh, I didn't get no amens there. <laughs> you know what? If you're out of work right now, you got no excuse for prayerlessness. But you used, to, you used to be able to say, but I don't have time to pray. Now you have to admit you just don't want to. Oh, snap. In Exodus 29, God took Moses up to the mountain and he gave him the pattern for the tabernacle. And just before he left, he said, But Moses, see to it that you build it exactly according to the pattern that I gave you on the mountain. You know what? We're in a season right now in which many of us are at a crossroads. There are big decisions that have to be made. Life directional issues, situations that, that have to be uh, decided decisions that have to be made but what God expects is for us to go up to the mount excuse me <laughs> God expects us to go up to the mountain and get the pattern you know what if you're in the midst of financial difficulty go up to the mountain and ask God what's the pattern you know my wife and I have been uh, we were in the midst of some financial struggle and we were looking at the bills and looking at the money that was coming in and it just wasn't wasn't enough and I just took a day and I said Lord tell me what to do with our finances and the Lord by the end of that day, gave me a very, very clear plan for our finances. First thing he told me to do is double our giving. Now, sometimes you'll learn that the Lord doesn't make any sense. Sometimes you feel like his mathematics are bad. 
he needs to go through a, a, you know, an SAT course, right? But how many know the Lord's ways are perfect? And so if he tells you to do it, even if it doesn't make sense in the natural, it means he's about to do something supernatural. Amen. Okay. Yes. So God will not do that which he has delegated to us, placed under our authority, and made our responsibility. Number four, or number three, God will not do that which he has determined not to do. There's some stuff God has just determined, I ain't going to do that. And when he doesn't do it, it's not because you've sinned. See, the first thing that comes to your mind when God doesn't answer a prayer is maybe it's because I've sinned, maybe it's because I don't have enough faith, maybe it's because I'm not walking right, maybe it's because God favors other people more than he favors me. Uh, you know, we come up with all of these reasons and it has nothing to do with any of those reasons. Sometimes God has just decided that he ain't going to do that. Now, any parent knows that there's some, st you know, you want to give the world to your children, but there's some stuff you just ain't going to do. Your children can cry. Sometimes my daughter wants stuff, and she can cry all she wants. The answer is no, you are not going to get that. Why? Because I know more than you know, and I know that that's not good for you. There's some stuff that you're asking the Lord for that's just not good for you, and he's just not going to do it. Why? Because he's sovereign. And the fact that he loves us and hears our prayer does not overcome the fact that he's sovereign and does what he wants. Prayer is not a means to divine manipulation. It doesn't give us power over God. God always maintains his power over us. He never surrenders it to us. Some stuff he just will not do. Luke 22, verse 42 to 43, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's crying out to God, and he says, Lord, if it's possible... Let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the cross. He says, Lord, if it's possible, please let me off the hook on this one. Give me, you know, give me a, a pass on this one. Nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. Now that verse of Scripture has been grossly manipulated by those who don't believe that God answers prayer at all. But at the same time, it's been completely ignored by those of us who do believe God answers prayer. We think it only applies to Jesus. The fact of the matter is, God will not save you or rescue you from carrying the cross. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. There is a cross that each of us has to bear. We've misinterpreted what that cross is. Sometimes we think that cross is physical sickness, and it's not. Sometimes we think that cross is some sin condition, and it's not. Sometimes we blame that we call it the cross when really it's our own foolishness. Nobody likes me. Well, I guess it's the cross I have to bear. No, you just got to learn how to relate to people better and stop offending everybody. My, fa my finances are all jacked up. I guess that's the cross I got to bear. No, you need, just need to cut up your credit cards. You need to get your credit cards surgically removed. But there is a cross that we have to bear. And discernment, it's different for every person. Jesus died on the cross. The only one of his twelve disciples who did was Peter, and he was crucified upside down. But John was boiled in oil, and he didn't boil. His cross was to live a long life. 
within a kingdom and empire that was grossly uh, opposed to the Christian faith. So all of the rest of the disciples were home with the Lord, and he's on the island of Patmos, still suffering for the gospel. He would have rather been beheaded when he was 60, but now he's 90, and he's still trying to serve the churches. He had a different cross than the other disciples had to bear. Theirs was martyrdom. His was old age. Sometimes the cross that you have to bear in a season is putting up with somebody that just gets on your last nerve. Loving them, even though they're being unlovable. Sometimes the cross you have to bear is putting aside your ministry for the sake of somebody else's. Sometimes the cross you have to bear is humiliation and ill treatment. Suffering for something that you didn't do. Taking the blame for something that you had no part of. Sometimes the cross you have to bear, sometimes what God does is he sees evil happening in the world and he puts a believer right in front of it and lets that believer get hit by it. Why? Because he knows that believer is going to absorb it and put it on the cross. And it's going to die there. Sometimes you get hit with stuff that had nothing to do with you. Dr. Kirby talks about being in a church where the pastor had multiple indiscretions with multiple women in the congregation. And everybody left, but the Lord told him, stay. And he said, Lord, why do I have to stay? Everybody's going to think that because of my association with this man, I'm in agreement with him. I follow him. And the Lord said, when Israel was drug off to captivity in Babylon, the prophet Ezekiel had to go with them. You've got to go with them. And he was with that pastor to the very last day of his life. And all kinds of people turned away from him because they thought, well, he must be in alignment with that. But for him, that was the cross he had to bear. There are other people that God speaks to in situations like that and says, get out of there. I'm sending you someplace else. There was a season when Paul ran and was let down out of the city and ran for his life. There's another season when he walked right into it because he knew that his face was set toward Jerusalem. But you've got to discern what your cross is instead of trying to create it. God never called you to build your own cross. Good. 2 Corinthians 12.9, Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh that he had. And he says, I prayed three times. Now, when Paul says he prayed three times, he doesn't mean what we mean when we say we pray three times. <laughs> when somebody says, I prayed three times, it means I go, Lord, please. No? Lord, please. No? We can pray three times in, in three minutes. <laughs> but when Paul says he prayed three times, it means he fasted. He intently and intentionally sought the face of God until he got an answer. And each of the three times, God did not say yes and he did not say no, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Remember in the Luke 22 passage where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he cries out, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. God did not come down and say, because you're my son, I'll let you off the hook of the cross. Instead, it says, an angel came and strengthened him. Sometimes you're looking for God to lift the cross off of you. Instead, he's going to send an angel to strengthen you so that you can go through it. 
Paul says, Lord, remove this thorn in the flesh. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you, meaning I'm going to strengthen you through it. Listen, there's some stuff in life that you're just going to have to go through. But don't worry. God says, when you walk through the water, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. God will not necessarily remove the rivers and the fires and the, and the, and, and the waters, but instead he's going to walk with you through it. We can talk so much about the power of God to deliver us that we ignore the fact that there's some stuff He does not deliver us from. Instead, He delivers us through it, not from it. Final point. God will not do now that which He has determined to do later. God will not do now that which He has determined to do later. If you're praying for him to do it now and he's determined to do it later, you can play, pray till you're blue in the face now. He'll still do it, but not now. I like the, the uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Scripture says that uh, the disciples are asking Jesus questions. They're, they're standing on the Mount of Olives. He's about to uh, ascend into heaven before their eyes. And they say, Lord, at this time will you restore the kingdom? Is it time now? Are you going to do it now? And he said, it's not for you to know. There's some stuff that's just not for you to know. I don't care how, care how prophetic you are. I don't care if you get visions, dreams, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. God will speak to you and tell you some stuff, but he's not going to tell you everything. There's some stuff that is just not for you to know. Information in the kingdom is on a need-to-know basis. God will tell you what you need to know, not necessarily what you want to know. Jesus said, it's not for you to know, meaning that's something I'm going to do later, but it's not for you to worry about now. There's some stuff we're crying out. I've gone through many seasons in my life when I thought it was now, but God knew it was later. And I'm praying now, and I'm trying to push it now. You know, you can push through the walls that the enemy sets up in front of you, but you can't push through God's walls. When God puts a wall in front of you, you can push it all you want. It ain't going nowhere. Here's where faith comes into play, because if I know that God's planned to do it later, then I don't have to worry about it today. God's got it. It's just not now. And his timing is perfect. In Acts chapter 3, we talked about, and we've talked about this many times before, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and that there's a man there who's lame from his mother's womb, meaning that he's been at that gate probably for more than 40 years or however old he was, obviously Jesus passed by him every day and never healed him. Jesus did not try to heal him. Jesus, I could just imagine Jesus walking by and not even looking down on him, but seeing him in his peripheral vision and just smiling. That miracle's not mine. Peter and John are going to start a revival with that miracle one day. What if Jesus had healed him? He would have stolen their thunder. <laughs> God's timing is perfect. But what tends to happen is we pray for it to happen now, and when it doesn't happen right now, we get all discouraged and disgruntled and disillusioned. Oh, I guess God doesn't answer prayer. We need some patience. God will not do that which he has already done. God will not do that which he has de de uh, delegated to us. 
placed under our authority and made our responsibility. God will not do that which he has determined not to do. And God will not do now what he has determined to do later. When God does not answer your prayer, the process of discernment is the process of determining which of these four principles apply. You can think it's later when it's number three. God just ain't doing that. You can think it's, it's number three when it's number four. It's later. But you think, oh, I guess God's not doing it. Maybe you think God's not doing it, but he expects you to do it. And so the process of discernment, what we need is wisdom. And what, what we need to pray is not only, God, here's my list of things that I expect you to handle for me. But now, Lord, give me wisdom to discern. You know the prayer, Lord, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And uh, with the, the boldness to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference is a ridiculous prayer. You know who's not, you know, God is not doing nothing in that prayer. I'm changing stuff and accepting stuff I can't change. There's no faith in there that God can change anything. God, give me the faith to believe that you can change what I cannot change. Give me the boldness to change the things that you expect me to change. Give me the wisdom to know when you just ain't changing it and you don't expect me to change it either. And give me the understanding to know that you're going to change it, just not now. Are you with me this morning? God's going to do some stuff. God's going to do some stuff, but we have to have our heads screwed on tight. Our understanding has to be activated so that we can navigate through the waters of what God does and what God does not do without damaging and destroying our faith. And if we understand these things, then we, un we begin to understand His ways. The ways of the Lord are perfect, the Scripture says. His ways are perfect. And what does that mean? As we begin to understand His ways, we can move with God. We can navigate through treacherous waters. When he moves, yeah, we, we could figure that he was going to do that. When he doesn't move, we understand why. And we, at the end of the day, the revealed things belong to us, but the secret things belong to the Lord. Sometimes it's a mystery. We can't fit it into any of these categories. We don't understand it. But because we understand the principles of the kingdom and the principles of faith, we're always moving towards understanding and we're believing it's never because he doesn't love me. It's never because he favors somebody else more than he favors me. He's no respecter of persons. It's not even because I didn't pray hard enough. Or even because I've sinned. I must transcend all of that stuff and begin to discern his ways. Let's pray.